Welcome to Oh This World. Each season, we'll investigate a topic that transfixes, confounds, or terrifies us. For our first season, we plan to focus on something that does all three, the Texas State Legislature. But no sooner had we recorded our first ever episode than we, like all of you, got smacked in the face with a global pandemic, a nationwide shutdown, and a looming economic catastrophe. Is there anything more transfixing, confounding, and terrifying than coronavirus and our government's response to it? So we decided to recalibrate. As Americans and as Texans, we wonder about the choices we are personally making in this new world disorder. And because our state and federal governments have failed to provide the leadership all of us need to make informed decisions, it too often feels like each of us is on our own. But at a time when it's easy to feel helpless, we're focused on action. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country hold our leaders accountable and build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for this world. Welcome to Oh This World. I'm Lucas Schaefer. I'm a writer here in Austin, Texas. And I'm Antoinette Perez. I'm a public speaker and a corporate trainer also in Austin, Texas. And this was not really how we'd planned to meet in podcast world. We literally the day before Austin shut down on March 12th uh, recorded our first podcast that was about the Texas state legislature and then everything that was already had we'd gone to shit but we've gone to a new level of shit with coronavirus and we decided uh we would take a slightly different tack so I guess my first question for you internet is how are you doing life is very different Prior to COVID-19, I traveled several times a month um, out of town for several days at a time for work. I enjoyed it very much. I love meeting new people and I love working with people. I love my work. And um, now that events are not a thing anymore, in-person gatherings are not a thing, um, everything has changed. I, you know, here's here's a funny thing. Um, there's a rideshare app called Ride Austin that I take whenever I'm in town. And I was at the airport so often that the app started listing my home as the airport. Wow. <laughs> and that's that's not happening anymore, I'll bet. I haven't opened the Ride Austin app in many, many weeks, but I'm gonna guess it knows what my home is now. You are truly a good citizen using the Ride Austin app. That is great. I'm I'm always doing my my lift and feeling bad about it, but you <laughs> walk the walk. That's fantastic. So, what about you? How are you doing in this post-COVID, current COVID? Age? I am in a frothing rage, basically all of the time. I so you and I met Antoinette after the 2016 election. We are both people who take citizenship. Uh, very seriously and those responsibilities seriously. And we met at a postcard party mm -hmm. um, writing to our elected representatives. So I've always, you know, I've been in a frothing rage since, you know, I was born in 82 and have had, you know, few, a few uh, peaceful periods, but um, we're at a new level. We're mm -hmm. at a new level, which is part of the reason we felt like we needed to you know, get out there and talk about 
action mm-hmm. because I feel like, you know, if you're a liberal or a progressive activist in Texas, there's always a feeling of, you know, I wouldn't say impotence, but it's, you know, the the, the odds are always against you. But I think this situation where we're all stuck at home and all of those activities we do, the canvassing and the meeting with our neighbors and all of those things that lead to political change, you can't do. And so I've really been focused on how can I remain an active citizen in this time, which I feel like is the only option because I'm just so furious. You know, I mean, I feel like, and I'm not saying this is healthy. I think we should be feeling, you know, grieving for people who have died and are sick and all of those things. But at the moment, I cannot let anything else in because of my complete and total rage about both how our state of Texas and the country under uh, President Trump has handled this. So, you know... If this was not um, coronavirus, we would be out there. You and I, you know, spent a lot of time in 2018 knocking on doors and, yes. uh, together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't do any of that now. So I think the question before us is what can we do as citizens? And that's why I'm excited about what we are up to. Yes. Another thing that excites me about this is from the beginning, when you and I talked about doing a podcast together, like almost a year and a half ago now, I saw an opportunity for us to be able to fixate on things in a really productive way. And initially, I think we had talked about doing like a political book club sort of concept, and then that morphed into the Texas Ledge thing. And now when I look at where we are, when I look at the state of just progressivism, progressive activism, we're we feel stuck a lot of us we just feel stuck and not sure what to do so it seems like a perfect topic for us to jump into in this preseason if you will of oh this world yes and just to be uh just in case anyone's wondering the reason we are called oh this world is because Antoinette and i have a very um active texting relationship <laughs> and we frequently <gasps> end text to each other with oh, this world, as in, oh, this, you know, this terrible world. Um, However, as we have talked about, oh, this world, there is the possibility for change within this statement. At some point, this podcast could be called, oh, this world, this wonderful world, but we are not there yet. Um, One thing I'm thinking that would be helpful, uh, especially for listeners who are really feeling that I don't know why I keep saying impotence. There are mm. other there are non there are words that don't uh, you know conjure um not being able to get an erection, but <laughs> just to be clear. But um so Politico had a story just the other day that was basically talking about uh, Republicans are pretty scared in Texas. And one thing we were going to talk about on our Texas Ledge podcast was we have a legitimate chance of taking the Texas House at the state level. And there are also congressional um, campaigns you know, all across Texas that mm-hmm. potentially could flip from red to blue. And I, I should warn, I feel like we need to warn readers right now 
Warren listen. I'm a you know I'm a writer because I'm saying Warren readers. That's right. Yes. Warren our listeners right now. So this podcast is applicable to everyone across America. It's especially focused on Texas. And unfortunately, or fortunately, for those of you listening, Antoinette and I met through uh, the indivisible group that is focused on the 21st congressional district. So I have a feeling we'll be bringing up many examples from that district that are hopefully applicable to other parts of the country that we know are applicable to other parts of the country. But incidentally, that is one of the districts that could flip in 2020 if we do our job right and that Politico was highlighting in this very article. So Yes. Yes, uh, for sure. And I think it's it's also worth noting that we don't live far away from each other, but it is interesting to think about the folks who live in the same congressional district with us, Lucas, who live four or six hours away from us. Oh, yeah. I mean, the gerrymandering in Texas has made it so that our district is not only made up of people who live four and six hours away from us, but it's also not made up of people who live 10 minutes from us. I, we have very good friends right down the street who miraculously are not part of um, our district. So hopefully these sort of action items we're talking about um, really kind of are transferable across districts and apart and across communities because there's really no rhyme or reason to how any of us are placed into these districts other than what is helpful to the Republican Party um, in Texas. That's right. That um, Politico article that you were referring to talks a lot about the importance of being able to expand vote by mail in Texas because it's always been quite limited here. Um, in general, you have to be over 65. You need to have some sort of a documented disability. Um, you have to prove that you'll be out of the country during election day in order to vote by mail. And those are kind of like it. Those are the only circumstances in which, as a Texan, you can vote by mail. What do you do when you can't be within six feet of another human being that's not part of your immediate family? How do you vote then? And if we had leaders who believed in representative democracy, we would have vote by mail across the board. Mm -hmm. um, just today, today, Wednesday, April 15th, Ken Baxton came out and said he did not believe in vote by mail um, unless you had a uh, you know, disability or you were infirm or, or elderly or the reasons you can vote by mail for now. Um, and he said that uh, part of that was because fear of coronavirus was an emotional response. So in other words, people were reacting to the fear of coronavirus as opposed to contracting coronavirus, which for anyone who has dealt with the Republican Party in Texas, we know this linguistic litigiousness they love, this mm -hmm. kind of, I was good on the debate squad, ha 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 ha. And it's, uh, you know, insane. It makes no sense. It, it defies common sense that people are not voting because of a fear as opposed to to because of the actual virus. Yeah, it's just out there. 
it's just out there. And in order for voting by mail to even work, you need a functioning solvent mail system, don't you? And that is our subject today. The post office. Oh my God, for a first podcast, that was a really smooth intro to the post office. Um, So yeah, so what we're going to be talking about today is the, I'm going to call it the war on, Republicans love a war on drugs, a war on this. We're having a war on the post office waged by the grand old party. And we're going to be talking about what the issue is and how we can solve it. So with that, what is going on with the post office? Oh, the poor post office. Um, Quasi-governmental as it is. Yes. So the 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 uh, let's just start at the root of this problem, which is that the post office is not doing well. Uh, it is running out of money because of coronavirus. There are not, um, you know, um, enough people using it during this time. And President Trump and the Republican Party has refused to, uh, they say, I object to this term bailout, the post office, we can get to why um, later, but they they refuse to give any money to the post office as part of coronavirus relief, um, which really has profound impacts across the country. I think one thing to point out is it seems at least like one of the reasons they don't want to help the post office is because of vote by mail. Well, probably. When we look at how coronavirus um, unfolded in the United States, we had Super Tuesday, which was in Texas, uh, March 3rd, primaries, right? Um, And if we don't see society open up again, for several months. Um, it may be, you know, pretty close to the fall, leading right up to November, that we don't really have an okay to be out in public with our fellow citizens to engage in our civic duty of voting. Um, so yeah, I think if you really don't want people to vote, you're going to do everything you can to shut down all viable means by which people might be able to do so even if they can't show up in person. Exactly. And uh, what what better a punching bag than the post office, a perennial punching bag yes. for uh, the right in this country. So let's just, I just want to give people some context in case they haven't been following, but in case you have anything else going on in your lives, like trying to stay alive or trying to feed your family or wondering where your next paycheck is coming from, in case any of those things happen to apply to you, uh, you may not have had time to read up on the post office, which is quite understandable. But basically, the post office, um, Eric Levitz in New, New York uh, Magazine has a good, good uh, article that will tweet out and post to the website about uh, the situation with the post office. But basically, um, since the 70s, Congress has required the post office to finance its own operations, right? So w- taxpayer money isn't, you know, it's it's essentially run like um, a business. Mm-hmm. And in 2006, the Republican Congress passed a law, this is from the Institute for Policy Studies, that imposed um, 
some requirements on the post office that are required of literally no other government agency and truly no corporation. What Congress said was they essentially had to fund uh, post-retirement healthcare costs, so pension plans, et cetera, um, 75 years into the future. And who else does that? No one does that. This, mm-hmm. According to this Institute for Policy Studies um, report, this burden applies to no other federal agency or private corporation in the world. Because why would it? Because 75, I mean, 75 years ago was, you know, a, yeah. a bit, a bit of time. What do you um, think that is? Is it Was it a personal vendetta that someone had against someone else in 2006? How did these things happen? Who dreams of these things? Why would they dream of this? I mean, I have. It's so funny, the more you follow politics and the more you see how this administration is playing out, that you really, you start to sound like a conspiracy theorist when you just say the truth. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? I think I do. Um, I don't, I don't know the history of that 2006 vote, but um, I was, I spent, unfortunately, as both a writer and a citizen and um, just, I guess, an ill-adjusted person, kind of a lot of time on Twitter. And <laughs> I noticed um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's the amazing writer for New York um, Times Magazine had this tweet the other day. She said, a story I've long wanted to write is that the particular hatred for the USPS, one of our great American institutions and services, an institution mandated by the Constitution, it's because its workforce is because its workforce is disproportionately black. And I have to say, knowing everything we know about, you know, Republican politics from Nixon to now, it seems like that really has quite a lot to do with it. Uh, You know, I looked up the statistics today, 39% of the USPS is people of color, 21% black, 40% women. And, you know, the Republican Party has a long history of using hardworking government workers um, as political punching bags in this fiction they've created that um, Democrats are takers. And it's it's a little weird as a white person saying this, just because I'm like even repeating the tropes like black people are takers. It mm. feels odd to mm-hmm. say, but I mean, that's the, the trope. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I, I mean, not to just go on a complete rant right now, but why Why not? What's the point of having a podcast if you can't just... Oh, this world. Oh, this goddamn world. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about how the post office, to me, the U.S. Postal Service, to me, seems to be one of the least political institutions out there. When I think of buying stamps and sending mail, I certainly don't think of politics at all. Um, I do think of things like, um, by the way, uh, personal admission. I love letters. I love sending letters. I have a lot of stationery. I got a lot of pens, a lot of stickers, and I buy a lot of stamps. Yes. Pre-COVID, I sent a lot of letters. You can ask folks that know. Lucas, you have gotten mail. I've gotten many letters from you. 
you have gotten letters. Yes. I, I love to send the mail. And I think about that level of connection that we get with people. I think about how, again, like in, in our congressional district, we have folks technically in the 21st that live six hours away in a highly rural area. Yes. And they get the same service from the U.S. Postal Service for the same price that I do. Um, that level of equity and that level of um, yes. just just connection and community is is fantastic. And I don't think of that as being political at all. So the fact that um, this, the USPS is becoming politicized, it just boggles my mind. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, that same same New York Magazine article also points out that the U.S. Postal Service currently has a 90 percent approval rating, positive approval rating um, among the American people. But I, I actually think that's sort of why it's a great target for Republicans, because the entire Republican project is to convince us that this government's run by takers doesn't work at all. Mm. Um, so what better a target for them than an institution that works extremely well? Um, I mean, I think that's some of what's what's going on here. I mean, the fact that Donald Trump said he would veto any stimulus package that included funding for the post office, that is a punitive action that makes zero sense. Um, so that's kind of where we are. When you're talking about those rural areas, Antoinette, the other thing about this is uh, the USPS ha provides what they call last mile service, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they are constitutionally, or uh, maybe not constitutionally, but they're they're mandated at this point to deliver mail to every American, uh, you know, at the same cost of mm -hmm. stamps, stamps and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of their com com quote unquote competitors, FedEx, U uh, UPS, Amazon, etc. They they don't go to the most rural parts of America, which includes places in Texas 21. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have what they call last mile agreements with the post office, where basically UPS, FedEx, all of these places are giving the post office mail to deliver. That's right. That's right. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. what What would happen, do you think, if they got rid of the postal service entirely. Oh, those. I shudder. That's I shudder that. to think of this privatization. I shudder. Um, yeah, that, that would not be a good thing. Most likely. I'm going to say it would be a bad thing. I think it would be a really bad thing. And, and so all that said, we have this U S postal service on the brink of insolvency again, through no fault of its own, really, with a whole set of unrealistic demands put upon them, right? Um, we we need them. We need them to keep us all connected. We need them to help us because in November, we may really need that um, vote by mail option if we can get that expanded in all states equally. So what now? So what now? So... Basically, we have two actions that you need to take. Um, the first thing you can do is you can buy stamps. And obviously, for people who 
are um, out of the job because of coronavirus. Uh, for people who just can't afford it, that's not an option. But if that is an option for you, buying stamps, not sending out those letters now. Hold on to, <laughs> hold on to your letters. It's you know a nice IOU to to USPS. Um, but I did read the other day if everyone, if every American bought one sheet of stamps, this crisis mm-hmm. would be over. Averted. What else can we do, Antoinette? Um, what else we can do is to call our members of Congress. So call those two senators and that one representative in the House of Representatives that reps you or purports to rep you, like in our case. Give them a call and let them know that you want the government to fund the post office. Can I ask you a question, Antoinette, because you um, have done a lot of interacting with the staff of um, congressional members. And I know a lot of people have been doing this since 2016, but for people who have not really been calling Congress, who may have mm-hmm. a little more time to do that now mm-hmm. that they're home 24 hours a day, what are what's some advice you can kind of offer for, uh, especially if you're like a little bit, I, you know, the first few times I did this, I thought, I don't really want to do this. Yes. Um, So I think the easiest thing to remember is that the phone call can be as short or as long as you want it to be. And if you're not feeling comfortable at the get go, short is probably better. So mapping out exactly what you want to say, simplifying your script to the point where you simply say, hi, my name is blank. Um, sometimes it's helpful to give like your zip code because the person who's taking the call will usually write your name and your zip code down and then say, I'm calling about the U.S. Postal Service. Please let the senator or the representative know that I would like the government to fund the U.S. Postal Service so that it remains solvent yes. forever. And and it can be that simple. There are actually a couple of bills out there right now that are related to funding the U.S. Postal Service. Um, You know, if you wanted to get into those specifics, it would just take a quick Google search for you to get the language behind it. Um, There are, you know, postal worker unions that have ready-made scripts for you if you want to make those calls. So all of those things are available out there, but it doesn't have to get that complicated. That's really all that you would have to say. There are other strategies later that certainly the longer that you keep a staffer on the phone, the less time they have to be doing other destructive things. So if you find yourself getting more comfortable over time, you can extend that script into a conversation. You could call about multiple issues and they would record all of those multiple stances. That is excellent advice. And generally, I mean, have you found people are generally even uh, for representatives you you don't agree with, generally people are pretty polite. Uh, we're thinking, I can see Antoinette's face. We There are exceptions that are being... There are exceptions. What oh. I would say is in my experience, oftentimes <laughs> the staffer's personality reflects very much the representative's personality. If there is one thing you and I have learned, Antoinette, in yes. the last three years, it is that the fish rots from the head. The fish rots from the head. Um, not an excuse for these staffers, but some of these people, once you get to know who the Congress people are, mm-hmm. you you also would be in a very bad mood if you had to work yeah. for them. Um, can I add one call to action? Yes. Additionally. So um, 
if you are in a blue district, in other words, if you have a Democratic congressman right now, um, it is especially important, I would say, to get on the horn with that person and really emphasize that this is important because they, you know, particularly in the House, have the have the chance to do this. If you are in a red district, it is also very important that you call. We know that Republicans sometimes occasionally do the right thing. But the other thing is now is the time to get involved with whatever campaign is trying to displace that person mm-hmm. because this is the sort of issue. And this is why I wake up in that frothing rage mm-hmm. that just shouldn't be an issue. It shouldn't be an issue. We have all sorts of things we can credibly disagree on where there are two sides to a point or more, and all of them make sense. This is not <laughs> this is not that issue. Um, there's no reason to essentially bankrupt the Postal Service, penalize them for them going bankrupt, not that they're bankrupt, but you know what I mean, and then um, turn this into a political issue in the middle of a pandemic. So absolutely put pressure on those Republican Congress people, but then do everything you can to replace them because we life is short and we should not be wasting our time on this. This is kind of what we want to suss out um, over the course of this um, preseason preseason of oh, This World. We could call it Oh, This World, and, Frothing Rage Edition. <laughs> oh, my God. I think ever unfortunately, I think every edition will be a Frothing Rage Edition because um, there's a lot of there's a lot pent up. Well, after this preseason, we will have to do an entire season on happy things that we fixate on. You you feel no energy behind that, do you? I'm like, oh my god, happy things. No, I I love that idea. Um, I should also point out we are on Twitter at oh, this world pod. You can email us at oh, this world pod at gmail.com. Well, in the meantime, between now and that next episode, be sure that you call your members of Congress. Just three phone calls, really quick, one after the other. Ask them to fund the post office. And buy some stamps. Buy some stamps. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye.